There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Now, most all of my clients talk to me at some point about how to raise their visibility. And they usually come at this because somewhere along the line, a manager or a senior, other senior person has said to them that to get to the next level, you need to raise your visibility, your profile, and your value. Now, the people I talk with don't know what that means you should be doing because if they did know, they would be doing it. And they don't understand how do you go about raising your visibility. Um, and how do you think about the value that you bring? And how are you supposed to talk to people about this and start this conversation in a way that doesn't feel so self-serving that it becomes a little creepy to them? So today, my guest is going to talk about the seven accelerators for your visibility and the three areas of your value. So I think you're going to find some very practical tips and manageable ones for how to do this visibility and value equation. So Ed Everts, my guest today, has over 25 years of leadership and management experience. He's worked with key leaders in areas such as biotechnology, business-to-business services, financial services, healthcare, government, with a host of clients. Ed coaches um, international executives at Harvard Business School. He's a certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and he used to be president of the New England chapter of International Coach Federation. He's held leadership roles at Iron Mountain, at the former Federated Department Stores, and at the former May Department Stores. Um, And I'm delighted to have you with us. I should also say the book, particularly, is called Raise Your Visibility and Value, Uncover the Lost Art of Connecting on the Job. Ed, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you, Wanda. I'm uh, thrilled to be chatting with you. I'm looking forward to it. I know this is a key topic for a lot of people and a source of frustration because they feel like there's this ambiguous thing called visibility that is keeping them from getting where they'd like to go in their careers. Now, I want to start, you link visibility and value as if they're connected. Why do you put those two together? So all of the work that I've done is very uh, experiential in working with clients, as you described earlier, in the marketplace, and many, many of them are looking for ways to be more visible with key stakeholders, uh, their own boss, uh, boards of director, et cetera. And, you know, most people who want to be more visible need to show something. And so what they need to show is value. And value continues to grow as a concept and a way of uh, being seen in the workplace. And so these two are very, very connected. You don't want to be a person who everybody knows, but nobody knows what you do. You want to be a person who everyone knows, and they know the value that you can bring their organization and industry. So for most of my clients and most of the folks that I talk with and work with, visibility and value are very, very related. 
Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me because I certainly hear senior executives when they're trying to give advice about raising your visibility that they don't want people to just run around making meetings to introduce themselves and talk about some of the stuff that they've done because there isn't enough substance to it and for your word value. So um, before we launch into this one, why is it that you think people do such a bad job of visibility and value? So uh, that's a great question. And I think part of it has to be, uh, you know, part of it we would look at is cultural, that in most global organizations, uh, they are so busy with so much activity. And, you know, busy is the phrase of the decade, right? You ask somebody, Mm -hmm. how are you doing? There's a 90% chance they're going to say busy. And in this busyness, they lose themselves. They lose their own persona, their own value, their own style uh, in an attempt to accomplish all of the tasks and all of the projects and all of the work that everybody is constantly asking them to do. And so in this fast-paced environment, the ability to be visible deteriorates, and hence your ability to provide value deteriorates. And so, you know, for most of my clients and most of the work that I do, they all operate in what they perceive to be very, very fast-paced environments that detracts from their ability to be visible and to add value. Yeah. Most of the time, my clients will say to me, well, everybody knows what I do. And I find for expert leaders who are, you know, technical experts and people are calling them for their technical expertise, they can be known for that technical expertise, but it becomes a very narrow set that knows them. It's not broad enough to get the kind of um, opportunities they are looking for outside of that. Okay. Yeah, so, a lot of the people that I work with, uh, just quickly, a lot of the people that I work with are technically very proficient. So they are a great attorney or they're a great pharmacist or they're a great uh, engineer, etc. And so their competence is very high. It's, and that's the what they do. So what they do in the world is very, very good. And everybody has a good sense of what they do. It's how they do it that becomes problematic because of the time pressures and the volume of activity. They don't get to demonstrate how they can lead and how they can connect with others as effectively as they would like. So can you give me an example about that? In, and often when we say how, we're talking about the style, but you're talking about the how in terms of how you connect with people, give people confidence in what you do. Sure. Uh, you know, right now, for example, I'm working with the COO of a very large uh, financial services organization in Boston who does not talk a lot at meetings. And this individual is getting feedback through a 360 exercise I did with many of his colleagues, uh, you know, getting feedback that he does not speak up enough at meetings. And when he does speak up, he tends to be very agreeable. And so people's perception of him at the water cooler is that he's a very quiet and agreeable guy. And while that can have value at certain points, that's not the reputation he wants to have in the organization. He wants to be more vocal and hence more visible and also not be perceived as being so agreeable. And he wants to be a little bit more challenging and requiring people to think a little deeper about decisions and things that they might be working on. And so, uh, you know, I just wish I had a nickel when I started this work for every client who on their own, without prompting from me, is looking to be more visible with key stakeholders, with their bosses, et cetera, uh, and also finding ways to provide more value. 
Okay. So now, do you have a definition? Do you have an explanation of what visibility is? I do. You know, visibility. Uh, so in the in my book, which you mentioned earlier, raise your visibility and value. I provide you know, a variety of uh, uh, definitions, and you know, visibility is broader than networking. So a lot of people think that people who are working on visibility are uh, you know looking to be um, uh, you know are networking and looking to be more uh, seen in an organization. But in my book, I say that visibility are activities and behaviors that build your presence and reputation in your organization and industry. And so your presence are both tangible and intangible, ways that you connect with others, and reputation is the words and phrases people might use when you're not in the room. And those are the areas that you want to work on in order to enhance your visibility. All right. So you really are talking about all the ways in which people connect with you and, in effect, how they feel as they connect with you, tangibly and intangibly, you've said. Okay? You got it. And, that, and that's a great word that you use about feeling because, uh, you know, some great speaker once said that, you know, 20 years from now, people will forget what you said and how you said it, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And so what you're attempting to do is have people experience you in positive, great ways in your career, in organizations that you might belong to, and at your company. Okay. All right. Now, when people turn to you and say, I don't like that self-promotion stuff, um, uh, so how, what's your response to them? Is it important? Is it not important? How does that fit in with visibility or not, in your view? Yeah, so I, I kind of not focus on this whole toot your own horn or self-promote, et cetera, the seven visibility accelerators that I talk about in the book and that I work on with my clients are things that you do already, uh, and you may need to do more of them or do them more frequently, et cetera. But, you know, people perceive themselves to be very, very busy in the workplace, so I didn't want to create activities that they had to add on because people don't have time to add on new activities or spend more time, you know, doing these types of things. And so they needed to refocus and revisit certain behaviors and activities that would allow them to be more visible. The second thing I would say is, you know, the world is continuing to evolve to be more independent. So, for example, pharmaceutical organizations across the globe are now working on taking medicines that you and I take every day but making them more independent to you and I because because one product might work for you, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for me just due to our different DNAs and biological makeup. So they want to personalize it so that both of them, you know, that one medicine works for both of us. And so the world is becoming a little bit more independent uh, with each other and with people. And in those particular cases, you can toot your own horn or self-promote to a certain degree because that's the structures and ways that people are now communicating with each other. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's talk then about the ways, because I like this notion that it's not an add-on activity. It's not something I add to the day. It's not an extra five hours I add to the week. It's a way of refocusing the behaviors and the actions, the things that I'm already doing, so that in doing those, I'm raising my visibility. And you talk about seven accelerators Tell us about what that means and how those work, and then we'll dive into a couple of them. Yeah, great. So, uh, you know, over my corporate career and then in the last 10 years as an independent, I really watched the marketplace and I watched uh, individuals interacting, whether it was in organizations or within industries, and really identified uh, 
just naturally seven things that people could do, uh, either start doing or do more of that they may not be doing in order to be more visible. And, uh, you know, those seven things include introducing yourself more effectively, and we can talk a little bit about that, being more accessible and responsive, engaging with industry associations, uh, and managing reputation, right? These are all things that we do all the time or need to start doing to some degree and uh, that create a heightened sense of visibility for you, again, either within your organization or within your industry. Okay. I love that. All right. So let's start with the top one because one of the issues is, you know, typically when people are trying to raise their profile, it's around people that they don't interact with on a regular basis. So you have some particular reason or occasion to meet someone. Maybe it's arranged, prearranged. Maybe it's, you know, random. Maybe it's an event. So what is the, this big deal about how do you introduce yourself? Yeah, so this is one of my personal favorites because this is one of the ones that's most visible to everyone else. So I'm sure, Wanda, you've been to a training class or a conference and uh, you're at a round table and there's eight seats and seven of them are filled and somebody comes up and says, gee, is this seat taken? And everyone says no and they sit down and then they whip out their iPhone, they turn their back to the group and they go into what I call solo land, which is, okay. yes, I'm sitting with seven other people, but I'm really only interested in myself. And so, uh, you know, this is one area and one example where we can get far more proficient in introducing ourselves. And sometimes it feels a little archaic, right? So when I go to a training class or a conference and I approach a table where there's some people sitting and I say, gee, is this taken? And I do try to look for tables that have people I don't know rather than always sitting with my best friends. And if they say, no, you know, please join us, I always walk the table. I quickly walk around the table and shake everyone's hand and introduce myself. And when I sit down, I now know them all versus not knowing any of them. And, you know, I may or may not take out my cell phone, depending on what the topic is or where we are in the conversation, et cetera. But that's not the first thing I do. And I have greater interest in speaking with them, asking them what brought them to the conference and getting to know them a little bit better. Most people are at conferences either uh, for business development purposes or to learn something new, and there's an expectation that you're meeting people. Uh, you know, there's okay. not an expectation that you're going to this event to sit by yourself and not ever meet anyone. And so, you know, I would ask you, have you had that experience where people come to a table and kind of go into solo land? Yeah, I'm going to give you one worse than that. You know, part of what I do is I run um, courses, seminars, events, and you have people from the same company. I have to force them to introduce themselves, and then they, you know, often they then seem uninterested when their colleagues at the same stage are talking about something that should be relevant to everybody. They're on their BlackBerry, unless I'm speaking. Yes, I get that in uh, in spades. Now, is there a way to, the other, my other pet peeve is people say, hello, and my name is, and they speak it so fast you couldn't pronounce it again if you had to, and then you just need to know something more about them besides their name. So typically people say, what do you do? And I always get very lame answers. So I don't know what to say next. Mm -hmm. There's no connection. Mm -hmm. What's your advice? Yeah. So in the book, I provide some insights into how to uh, do two things. One, how to introduce yourself to others and then how to, quote, unquote, engage in small talk, right? And so people aren't really interested in knowing a ton about you. Our interest level starts to dissipate, you know, very quickly once we meet somebody. 
um, you know, in that type of conversation or environment. And so, you know, there is a way to introduce yourself and there is a way to engage in small talk. The biggest area of opportunity for most people is presence. And that is, as you're going into a conference room and there's already 100 people in there and you think they all already know each other, which they don't, is being very present with the fact that you want to meet some new people, that you're going to listen really well, that you're going to have good eye contact. And these introductions may only take two or three minutes, but you're introducing yourself, you're practicing how you're introducing yourself, and you're being very, very present in the moment. And oftentimes, you know, the small talk is uh, quick little questions like, gee, what brought you here today? Uh, you know, what, what are you most excited about at the conference today? Things of that nature. Anytime I do a talk for a group, very early on in the presentation, I will have everyone stand and we take three minutes for everyone to go around and find three other people that they don't know and introduce themselves. And I'm always amazed at how many people, even within the same company or at the same organizational group, don't know each other. Yeah, I agree because with that. Because they've one. come in, they've sat down, they've whipped out their iPhone, and they're gone into solo land, and they're not even yeah. interested in you know connecting and meeting other people, which is one of the primary reasons that you're there. Okay, all right, and I know you talk a lot in the book about presence and this notion of attending and listening and making people feel like they're important to you in that moment, and in particular, remembering their names. Yes. So, uh, do you have any tricks for remembering names? I just met five people around the table. Uh, how do I remember? Yeah, so I think memory. I think name memory is often more DNA based than having a little trick to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, yet, I would tell you that the primary and best way to remember people's name is to be very present in the moment. And you know, typically when I meet somebody, I do repeat their name, but I forget names. Uh, I think everybody forgets names. Um, if you're not present or if you're not as focused as you'd like to be. Some people take business cards and write, you know, what meaning they've met the person at the back. There's great ways to remember names. You can Google it and see those types of answers. But for me, the primary way that I remember names is to be very present in the moment and say, great meeting you, Wanda. Gee, what brought you to the conference today? Okay. So uh, I'm focused on the, the person. Wanda, you know, have a great day. Right. So I'm focused on the person. I'm actually listening, not thinking about something else. I repeat yep. the name and I do some small talk that makes the person a little bit more memorable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds simple and seems rather amazing that we need to do this one. Now, we're going to take a break in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk about number two, which is this notion of be accessible. That's your second accelerator. What do you mean by that and why does that matter? So being accessible is very similar to being uh, responsive. And so as we uh, you know, look at accessibility, so many people are inaccessible. And one of the activities I do here in the Boston area is I host a weekly meeting of HR leaders who are in transition. And each of them could tell you unbelievable stories of how inaccessible certain people have been during their job search. People they've interviewed with, people who said, we'll call you back, and then just don't. And so in order to be visible, right, because this is about enhancing your visibility within your organization and industry, you need to assure that you're very accessible to these individuals and then also responsive. And responsive could be as simple as, hey, Wanda, I don't have time today. I'll get back to you Monday. You know, it takes 30 seconds in order to do that, yet 
because of that fast-paced world we talked about a little while ago that many of these people find themselves in, they don't even have time to do that. And so, uh, you know, creating ways that people can access, uh, access you and then ensuring that you return it by being responsive and help them move forward are two other ways that you can enhance your visibility within your uh, organization and industry. I'd like that. The ways that people can access you. You know, the standard mode at the moment is to send an email. And then for most of my clients, everybody's expecting a response within five to ten minutes, which is completely unrealistic given that an individual probably gets somewhere between 200 and 1,000 emails in a day. And anybody can read or respond to them. So, so much of that email traffic then is never read, really, or thoroughly understood, and you certainly can't respond to it. So, that is what we rely on, yet it doesn't work very well for the visibility just for the reasons you said. No, it does not. It does okay. not. <laughs> All right. Um, any advice other than just be accessible and be responsible? Any ways of doing that? Well, uh, you know, for accessibility purposes, there are some things that you can do, and this is, you know, what I call tangible accessibility. So these are ways physically that people can access you uh, is to make sure people know where you are, and, you know, know where your office is or your workstation is located so they can actually come see you and, in the book, I talk about the value of actually visiting people versus sending an email to somebody who's sitting next to you. Uh, ensure people know the hours that you work. So while emails are not highly efficient to create great communication, you can have a signature line that has your hours of work or your days of work or information that can help people know when they can get you um, uh, the easiest. Ensure they know your contact information, your phone number, your email address, etc. And then also let them know when you're not going to be accessible because a lot of times, we don't hear back from someone. We don't know why, so we create stories about you know why that person's not getting back to me, only to find out that they were on vacation or dealing with a personal emergency, and there was no mystery. They just did not do a great job of keeping people informed as to their inaccessibility over the next you know few days, for example. So ensuring people know in a uh, you know the uh, email out message that says, "Hey, I'm going to be out of the office for a few days. I'll be back in on Monday." If you need to talk to somebody in advance, you know, please call Ed at this number. It would be very effective to help people uh, ensure that you're being accessible to them. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Okay, Ed, we're going to take a break. Um, with me today is Ed Everts. Ed has over 25 years' experience as a leader and manager himself in a variety of industries. He does coaching um, through is certified through the International Coach Federation, and he has written a book called Raise Your Visibility and Value. We've been talking about the seven accelerators that raise your visibility, and the notion is that these are things that you're doing already. Let's just do them in a better way and a more effective way so that your visibility is enhanced. And when we come back, we'll talk about a couple of the other accelerators. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. 
Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Ed Everts. We've been talking about ways to raise your visibility and your profile, and particularly his book, Raise Your Visibility and Value. And the notion is that it's not just your visibility, but it's the value that you bring so that both the visibility and the value are tied tightly together. There are seven accelerators, things that you can do in the natural course of work that you're doing already, and you're probably doing some of these it's a matter of doing them with more effectiveness, more consciousness, so that they have a greater impact. So we've been spending some time talking about how you introduce yourselves and make that sort of positive first impression. Very short and simple, straightforward. The notion of being accessible and being responsive, that raises your visibility and the value that you bring to other people. And then there's four last ones. There's ways you interact with others. Um, there's something around purpose and there's something around the industry association events tell us about this notion of the industry association ed how does that work and why does that matter sure thanks uh thanks Rhonda. yeah so one of the seven um visibility accelerators is engage with industry associations and this has to do to the it's really the degree to which you interact and participate with colleagues outside of your organization. So visibility is not only an internal activity that you focus on, but it's also external. And there's a number of reasons that you might participate with external organizations that have nothing to do with finding your next job or, you know, meeting people who could offer you a position, which is what many bosses think is the reason that people join these groups. But they become a great place to meet people who could be candidates for open roles at your organization. It's a great place to hear best practices that you can bring back to your organization in order to enhance or influence something that you're doing. It's a great place to meet people who have already done something that your organization hasn't yet done, and you can tap into that expertise and learn more about it. So there's a number of reasons that it's important to uh, join, really, affiliate or membership organizations specific to your career, and there's millions of them out there that meet constantly to achieve all of the things that I just mentioned. Great. I often say to people that part of your visibility is having bites of information that the rest of the organization doesn't necessarily have or that particularly people you're trying to connect with don't have and becoming a source of information for those people. And 
in my view, some of that information is competitive intelligence. You know, what are other people doing and how are they doing it? And are we ahead of the curve, behind the curve, thinking about the same things? And that's stuff you pick up at industry events. Yeah, absolutely. I love that mentality and that kind of perspective of competitive intelligence. And this is a great way to add value to your organization, to have information that others don't have because they're not participating and going to regularly scheduled, you know, meeting uh, organizations, et cetera. So uh, it's a great way to learn things and have insights and experiences that you won't learn within your own company. A lot of people will say that if they've been with their own company a while, and in my mind, a while is anything from five to 10 years, they've really become insulated to their own company. And there are things going on in the world that they're just not hearing about or experiencing it because their own company isn't doing it. And they're so busy with projects and tasks and activities, they don't have time to learn about them or experience them. So an affiliation group is a great place to hear about competitive activities, especially in this day of ever-changing technologies, uh, you know, a great place to learn and bring back to your organization new ideas or best practices that can help the organization move forward. Okay, great. Now, you know what I'm going to say, because this is what everybody must be saying to you all the time about industry events. Yes, but I don't have time. So what's your response right. to that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's something that you need to find time to do. And so, you know, most, you know, I call it the Gray's Anatomy Syndrome. And, uh, you know, Grey's Anatomy is going to be celebrating its 300th episode coming up. And it's like, oh, my God, 300 episodes. And there are people who, regardless of how busy their work week is, always finds time on Thursday nights at 9 o'clock to, find, uh, to watch Grey's Anatomy. Now, today with taping and uh, DVRs, et cetera, you can tape it and watch it later. But still, they find time to do that. So, you know, I challenge the perception that people have about their calendar and about their ability to find time to attend a recurring, and we're not saying frequent, we're just saying recurring, meeting uh, of an affiliation group. It could be once a month, it could be once a quarter, it could be twice a year, right? So it's not something that meets every Tuesday at 7 p.m., but meets on a regular basis in order to achieve the benefits that you're thinking about. And if you are truly interested in raising your visibility, it becomes a motivator to attend these organizational events so you can bring back the stuff that we've been talking about that can help their organization move forward. If you're not motivated to raise your visibility, you will, quote, unquote, never have time. Great. Okay, fair enough. you got to believe that this whole thing is important to you or it doesn't matter. Now, I have often told people that if you're joining an industry association, then volunteer to do something, to give a talk to organize something, to be on a committee, because that helps you get connected with people. Do you agree with that advice, or do you have other advice? No, I totally agree with that advice. And there's a number of ways you can become more active in an organizational affiliation group that can help raise your visibility within that uh, industry. And, you know, you just mentioned a number of them. Uh, You know, the easiest way is to be a speaker on a panel. So rather than be a solo speaker, at an organization, let the person who's in charge of programming uh, know that you'd love to speak at some point with a panel because uh, then you have the benefit of others who can jump in and share ideas, et cetera, and allow you to speak on either what your organization is doing or what's happening within the industry, et cetera. Uh, 
most of these organizations have boards of directors, as you mentioned. If you're not ready to be on the board, you can be on a committee, and a committee is a little bit of a lesser stressful experience uh, versus being on the board, but there are endless numbers of ways that you can be more active in an affiliation group other than just being a member. Okay. I can't, I've can't. i seen several times, too, where a boss is active in an industry association, and someone reporting to that boss or to that superior gets involved, and then the boss meets someone from the industry association and says, oh, yes, I've met your colleague, Wanda, blah, 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 and then it just raises your visibility with that superior in your own organization. I've seen that happen several times as well. So yeah. let's go to your last accelerator, which is about managing your reputation, which sounds great. Um, what do you mean by that, and how do I do it? Sure. So managing your reputation is about enhancing how people think or speak about you when you are not present. And so there's a reality in the workplace that if you do a presentation for a board of directors or for colleagues or speak for a group or have an interaction at a meeting, et cetera, that somebody somewhere is probably commenting on it uh, about how either well you did or how you didn't do well, et cetera. Uh, and your goal is to ensure that you're taking active steps to manage how people perceive and uh, interact with you uh, in the workplace because you want people uh, at the water cooler and uh, other places in the organization talking about you in very effective ways. And in the book, the areas that I say influence reputation are articulation, attitude, behavior, and production. So I'll say those again. Articulation, attitude, behavior, and production. So articulation is about you taking some time to articulate and develop your presence about what reputation you want to have. Very few people do this in respect to an organizational opportunity. If I was leading an organization during the, uh, if I was leading an organization during orientation, I would have people describe and talk about what reputation they want to have. How do they want people speaking about them when they're not here? Uh, uh, You know, the other ones, attitude, behavior, have to do with how you interact with others, and of course, always having a positive attitude and always uh, working to get work done or keep people posted on the work that you're doing if you're running behind. And then uh, production, it's uh, ensuring that you are seen as a person who can produce and get a meaningful amount of work done. And if those four areas are working well together, you have an identified reputation that you're working to achieve, your attitude, behavior, and production are in line. I believe that your reputation will be very positive with your organization. Okay. Lots of times when I want to talk about articulation here, what you want your reputation to be, because I think that's an important target. Lots of times when I talk with people and I ask them to say, what do you think your reputation is? And, you know, sometimes we verify that with a 360. They'll say results-driven, task-oriented, team-oriented, or the kind of top three words. And that's great. You certainly would not want to not be those three things. But at the same time, they never feel like distinguishers. So how much do you think this articulation of reputation needs to be a bit unique to you? Or does that matter? Uh, yeah, I think it does matter. I, I don't think stress should be putting on, you know, making it sound unique. Because then all people will do is, you know, Google fancy words that nobody else is using. So it sounds <laughs> as though... Uh, you know, their reputation is different than uh, other people's. I think, first of all, just the activity of sitting down 
and thinking about, so what is the reputation I want to have at this organization? And having an answer is significant. So even having an answer is significant. And there's three areas that, in my mind, especially under attitude, that come into play, which if uh, anyone who worked for me were these three things, I would be very, very happy, which is optimistic, flexible, and polite. So if I employed a group of people who were optimistic about the future, very flexible in how they navigated through it, and polite, respectful with others, I'd be very, very happy. And they could all have the same reputation statement, but I'd be very, very happy that they are able to achieve those particular goals. All right. So this doesn't have to be anything unique. It just has to be what matters in the organization. And for most organizations, optimism, flexibility, polite, respectful are really good things about an attitude to have. Okay. Yeah. And that's a really good point because you want to ensure you're also spending time understanding what is important to the organization as far as what we're looking to achieve and obtain as a, a player in the industry. And so understanding what uh, my, what my role is in the organization and what the organization is doing can greatly influence the type of reputation that I want to have to positively impact those goals and objectives. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Being able to talk about that and being able to use it. Now, production, this last one about a reputation. So we have articulation of what the reputation you want to have, an attitude like optimism, flexible, polite, respectful, the behaviors, meaning how you interact with people and how you keep them posted on the work that you've done or if you're running behind and so on. And then production, you said this is a meaningful amount to get done. It's you know, often you're sitting there at your desk, you're working, 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 you're putting in an enormous amount of hours, but it's hard to know if you're adequately productive, particularly compared to other people. So any advice there? Yeah, I mean, I, I expect people to think about production in a couple of ways. Uh, you know, one is quantity. So, of course, everybody's expected to produce more than any single human being can produce in the workplace. And that's where this busyness comes from, that they're, oh, I'm busy, 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 right? I've got too much to do and not enough resources to get it done. So there's a focus that needs to be on ensuring that you're producing a meaningful, and that varies from organization to organization, but a meaningful amount to work. And then in addition to quantity, it's quality to ensure that the work that you're getting done is done well so that people don't have to redo it or revisit it, et cetera, which, of course, takes more time, uh, et cetera. So, uh, you know, the amount of work that people have to do at organizations varies dramatically, but ensuring that you're thinking about, you know, how much am I doing? And I look and compare myself to others. I talk to my boss and get, uh, you know, I check in to ensure the amount of work that I'm doing is consistent with what his or her expectations are and that the quality of work that I'm doing is good, I believe that that contributes to your ability to build a great reputation. Okay. All right. So certainly if you're not accomplishing a great quantity or with quality, that's going to damage your reputation. I often hear people talk about the importance of prioritizing, you know, being clear about the one or two things that are really critical to get done, getting those done and on time and responsively and with high quality and focused. Um, and then some of the others, perhaps it's a little bit longer time or perhaps not as much quality. So how do you factor in priorities into this? Yeah, I think it's very important that you do prioritize the work that you're doing. I, I actually met with a colleague this week who, who 
organizes his week by day. And so on his desk, he has a Monday folder, a Tuesday folder, a Wednesday folder. And every Monday night before he goes, he organizes what he's going to be doing on Tuesday. And then Tuesday night before he goes, he organizes what he's going to be doing on Wednesday. So he's doing a a form of prioritization. I don't spend a ton of time in the work that I do identifying different ways to prioritize, but I would tell you that ensuring that you know what the most urgent and important activities are that you need to work on, either through talking with your boss or listening and listening to others, et cetera, uh, it becomes very important to ensure that you're just not busy, but you're being productive. Okay. So not just busy, productive. All right. I like that one. I think that's an important one. Okay. We're going to take a break here. With me today is Ed Everts. The book that we've been talking about is Raise Your Visibility and Value. As I said, Ed has over 25 years being a business leader and with management experience. He is also a coach certified through the International Coach Federation. He does a variety of work with universities, including Harvard Business School and Babson. And when we come back, I want to talk about this elusive thing called value and the three areas you can add value. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it, and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Ed Everts. The book we've been talking about is Raise Your Visibility and Value, Uncover the Lost Art of Connecting on the Job. The notion is that raising your visibility and value go hand in hand. So it's not just that people know you, but they know the value that you bring as well. And we've been talking about the seven accelerators for your visibility, things that you're already doing, but ways to do them in a better way that is going to increase your visibility. So things like your accessibility and responsiveness and engaging in industry associations and managing your reputation, to name a few. Now, 
Ed, you're kind of insistent that visibility and value go hand in hand. As I've already said, it's not just about being known, but it's being known for something that you do. But you also say, you know, good value is not the same as good performance. Explain what you mean. You know, in the, in the work world, the word value continues to grow in its importance and relevance in industry, and people continue to look for more ways in which they can talk about value that they have provided. So oftentimes on resumes, people will say, don't just tell us what you did, but tell us what the outcome was. You know, what, what happened because you worked on that? Don't just tell us you worked on it, but what was the benefit or value that came out of it? And that's a little bit of this difference between business performance and, and value, right? Business performance or financial performance is what you experience, but what was the benefit? What was the value? What was achieved by you working on those particular areas? And so with folks I work with, while what they have done is interesting, it's what the benefits and value were of those activities that we'll spend more of our time on. Okay. All right. And so you talk about there's three areas of value because I said earlier it was elusive. It's hard to know what is valuable. I stay busy. Isn't that valuable? You know, I do my job. How do you define value? Yeah, I mean, it is is elusive. And uh, a lot of people would say, uh, well, I must be valuable because I'm awfully busy. How could I not be valuable when the company keeps asking me to do a million things and, you know, do the job of three people and I'm just one person, uh, et cetera. And while all of that is interesting, it doesn't necessarily add up to value. And so in the work that I've done with clients and in my own personal work experience and in my coaching uh, experiences, I've realized I've, I've identified really three types of value that can exist within organizations. One is individual value, which everyone can provide. And in my book, I have a pyramid. And to the bottom of the pyramid, which is the widest section, is where individual value falls. The middle section is value tied to internal financial drivers. And so it's in the middle because fewer people in an organization can provide value based on financial uh, drivers, yet that is a way that you can provide value at an organization, and still many people can achieve that. And then at the top of the pyramid is the third level, which is value uh, tied to external marketplace drivers. And so these are things that are happening external to your organization that can provide value or influence uh, the operations of your organization. Okay. So you're going back to some fairly hardcore values. So individual value presumably would be things like the expertise that I bring, the knowledge I bring, the competitive intelligence, maybe some intangible things like my ability to get people to work together. Is that what you mean by individual value? I do. I do. So everybody in an organization, whether it's a security guard or an executive assistant uh, or you know a fast food employee, et cetera, provides some degree of value to the organization, and everyone should be expected to do that. And this is where words and performance appraisals come about because we typically categorize people by the types of value that they can provide their organization, and they may be perceived as adaptable or flexible or timely. You know, these are all catchphrases that we've used to describe individual value that we expect people to provide their organization. Okay. All right, and I want to go to the last one you talked about, which is the external marketplace drivers. Um, One of my colleagues, Liam Fahey, who's also been a guest on this show, has this argument that to be strategic, 
everybody, every single person in the organization should know how you impact an ultimate consumer or user or buyer of the business on the external world. And then if you don't know how you're impacting it, you either should find out or stop doing whatever it is you're doing. So is that what you mean by external drivers? Well, uh, so I take a position that value is financially based. So there's all types of values. I mean, your word elusive was dead on because, you know, if we were to be in a room and ask 10 people to define the word value, we would get 10 different definitions. And my goal isn't to create one definition, but I do take a position that for purposes of raising your visibility and value, that the area that you want to focus on are the financial metrics of your organization. And so consistent with your colleague, you need to know how your organization and how your work group measures itself financially. And you want to ensure that whatever you do at the workplace influences those measurable metrics very positively. And so uh, part of it's either the internal financial drivers of the organization, and then others are the external uh, marketplace drivers that can influence your organization, you know, from time to time. Okay, so can you give me an example about, you know, getting focused on the internal financial drivers and how, uh, you know, not a, somebody not in a CFO or a sales role could think about the value they bring from the financial driver's point of view? Uh, yeah, and, you know, they're not very exciting. So, to be honest, okay. you know, they're typical financial measurements like revenue, sales, uh, expenses, gross margin, gross profit, uh, key financial ratios, profit margin. If you listen to the CEO talking to Wall Street, if they host a call every quarter where they talk about their financial performance, or if you are able to read the minutes or participate in a board of directors meeting or even a board meeting, whereas a employee, you may own stock in your company, listen for the financial metrics that the leaders of the company are using to describe how well the company is doing. It varies from organization to organization. A a call center might be very focused on uh, the financial metrics around how many calls they take and how long those calls last. And the more calls we take, the more financially productive we are, etc. You know, a retailer will look at different financial metrics in a call center. Uh, you know, different companies are going to measure it a little bit differently. But it's, you know, every company measures itself on some type of financial metric. And it's important if you're going to add value to know how your organization measures itself. Okay. And then how do I connect what I do to those financial metrics? A very key activity for all individuals is to engage in a conversation with your boss. And this is outside of your performance appraisal conversation. Ideally, it's a very distinct and separate conversation. And I talk about this in the book on how to have your conversation with the boss to talk about how you can provide more value in your organization. And there's a form you can fill out that talks about what you're doing. And working with others is not just on your own, but partnering with a colleague or working with your boss to work to see if the things that you're doing, which they may already be, or other things that you could do that aren't yet tied to these financial metrics. Okay. I remember um, working with a woman a couple of years ago who was interested in getting promoted. It was a pretty significant promotion. And everyone said to her, the work that you do is fabulous, but it's hidden, as in it's behind the scenes. And, you know, too many people don't understand the ways in which you contribute to the overall success of the company, again, because it's behind the scenes. I. Mm-hmm. She, she quite cleverly figured out 
that how many transactions, for example, in that company she was a part of or she impacted. And, you know, going back and did some analysis in the last year, she had an intern do that over the summer and then could actually put a metric on the dollar revenue stream that she had affected, not that she brought it in or that she managed it, but she had an impact on it because of the work that she did. And that helped people understand her real value. Yeah, that's a great example. I think for a lot of people, uh, it's not highly difficult to identify what you're working on and how it's tied to the financial metrics that's important to your organization. That's a great example of someone who found time to do that work because she was motivated by her desire to demonstrate that she is providing value to her organization. Okay. All right. So let's turn to the last one. We just have a couple of minutes. This external marketplace drivers, um, things like you know customer satisfaction, all the usual external drivers. How do you suggest people figure out how they are connected to those external drivers? Yeah, so this is at the top of the pyramid. So this is going to be fewer people within an organization who are tied to or have a line of sight with external marketplace drivers. And, you know, in my mind, these are things like anticipating changes in the marketplace. There may be a new competitor coming to town, uh, another entity that does sort of what you're doing but not exactly, continues to grow in the industry, et cetera. But there are external activities going on that you want to be more aware of. And, of course, you could do that by joining industry association groups, as we were talking about sooner. But, um, you know, being aware of those types of things, uh, building uh, decision alternatives based on uh, these factors. You know, you may do something about it. You may not. You know, strategy isn't only about doing something. Sometimes it's about not doing something and making a decision to not move in a particular way, market uh, direction, et cetera. You know, considering risk is very important and, of course, taking long-term action that uh, reflects these external marketplace drivers. So it's typically more senior leaders in the organization who are tied to um, external marketplace uh, value. And, uh, you know, these are tied to economic drivers or competitive drivers that people can be made aware of that can help influence the direction of the company. Yeah. I've often, I, one senior person that was advising um, a younger person in the organization said, look, we know where we want to be in five years and we agree we can't get there tomorrow. All I want you to do is to make a decision every single day at every single point that inches us in that direction. So that's more of what you're talking about, the external drivers. While you don't have a line of sight on them or you're not tied to them, you can at least be aware of them, where people are headed, and then try to move in that direction by the decisions that you control and the long-term actions that you control. Yeah, and I love that example because that person is also talking about presence and being more present about what you're doing and how you're doing it that influences the direction that we want to go in as an organization. And if I stop you in the elevator and say, hey, what's the one thing you did today? You should be more likely to talk about it than somebody who's never said this and has never talked about this. And I ask somebody what you did today, and I'm going to look at you like, you know, you've got six heads. I'm not sure what you're asking for. (laughs) But, you know, I, I I don't think that's going to be the case for this leader who's been very clear with her people. Okay, fabulous. All right, um, Ed, fabulous show today. So my guest today is Ed Everts, 
The book we've been talking about is Raise Your Visibility and Value. The notion is that visibility and value are tied together. It is not just a matter of raising that people know you, more people know you. It's that more people know the value that you bring, not the work that you do, not how busy you are, but the ultimate value that you add. And value in this case, I really like these three, Ed, is both the individual value, the benefits that I bring, the results, the outcome, the successes, as well as the financial value that I add or the ways in which I contribute to financial success of the company. And then the ultimate one is the ways in which I contribute to ultimate market external value. So, Ed, thanks for being a guest. This was fabulous. Terrific, Wanda. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. All right. And join us next week for another episode. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.